From Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida, this is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. On this week's episode, Joanna Schweitzer, a member of Hyde Park and a member of our podcast team, sits down with the Reverend Emily Hotho, pastor of Skycrest United Methodist Church in Clearwater, Florida. This is the second time Joanna and Emily have tackled a passage together. If you missed their two-part episode on Joseph and Moses, be sure to scroll back through your feed and give it a listen. In this episode, Emily and Joanna discuss the contrasting characters of Ruth and Saul. They explore the motivations behind the characters and bring their stories to life. Plus, Emily takes us behind the scenes of a particularly odd story in 1 Samuel 5-6, through where the Ark of the Covenant is stolen and wrecks havoc on the Philistines. But first, a summary of the week's readings. Friendship, loyalty, honor, and some adventure. Ah, we have the makings of a good story. This week's reading includes the book of Ruth and Samuel 1, up through chapter 17. Ruth is a brisk and especially gratifying human interest story with admirable protagonists, quirky customs, and a happy ending. In contrast, Samuel 1 ushers us into another epic phase of the biblical narrative. It marks the transition from prophet judges serving as the primary intermediaries between God and his people to an era of earthly kings. As such, we first meet Eli and Samuel, and later Saul and David, along with other interesting but lesser known characters. Samuel 1 is chock full of action and heroic victories. However, it also highlights the corrupting dangers of arrogance and power a timeless and universal message for us all. So let's dive in. Hey, Emily, thanks so much for joining. Excited to talk about Ruth and Naomi. I love the story. I think it just embodies everything that we would all want in a, a friendship or a mentorship, just this perfect relationship based on trust. Yeah, it's a great story. Um, I also really love this story. And as we're also talking about 1 Samuel today, I noticed I had a lot more to say about Ruth than about 1 Samuel. Uh, We were talking as we were getting started about uh, focusing on the good examples. And Ruth is just a beautiful story about uh, trust and loyalty and kindness and lots of good things that our world could all use more of. Um, So we'll just start out talking a little bit about uh, the setting and maybe the time that Ruth was written, a little bit of background information about it. So when Ruth starts out, it says that it takes place in the days when judges ruled. Um, You guys in your Bible 2020 readings have just recently finished up studying judges. And so we know that judges was a very dark time in Israel's history. Uh, One of my study Bibles referred to the time of the judges as murder, immorality, and general anarchy. So the Old West of the Bible. Yeah, basically. Yeah, bad time. Um, There's a verse in Judges uh, 21-25 that says, There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So when everyone's doing what they think is right, (laughs) things just don't always go that well when they're not listening Mm -hmm. to God. So that is kind of chronologically when Ruth takes place, and Christian Bibles, which we are reading from, place Judges uh, right before Ruth. It goes Judges, Ruth, and then First and Second Samuel. Uh, Jewish scriptures, though, place Judges, place Ruth um, towards the end. Interestingly, even though it's early in the story, they place Ruth towards the end of their scriptures. Their scriptures go uh, the Torah, the Law. 
and then the prophets, and then the writings. And so Ruth, for them, comes in the section called the writings uh, on one of the five scrolls that they read during their Jewish holidays. So Ruth is typically read uh, on Shavuot, which is the festival of weeks. Mm -hmm. It's a harvest festival, uh, which makes sense because in the story Mm -hmm. of Ruth, they are harvesting and gleaning Mm -hmm. and threshing. Uh, Also, that celebration is a celebration of the giving of the law uh, to Moses, which is interesting because we see Ruth in her Mm -hmm. story converting uh, to Judaism and entering into that covenant. Uh, So I just thought that was kind of some interesting background and it's in this dark time uh, where things are not going great for God's people that our scripture kind of zooms in and gives us this very personal story of uh, one family uh, choosing to do things a better way. Yeah so so we were talking offline a little bit about the fact that Ruth you know was sort of not inherited but she joined the family when Naomi and her family had left to find, I guess, in a time of famine or a time of hardship, a different life in Moab. And Moab was um, very different culturally, but they had a similar language. They kind of originated back up through the family of Abraham. So they were sort of like, you know, distant cousins of the Hebrews and the Israelites. Um, So, you know, the fact that she really joined in, I find fascinating. What What do you think people ought to take away from that? Yeah, I love that. And that's a great point that they had a shared language, which is why they can speak to each other, um, but that they were culturally different. And Moab was even kind of considered an enemy of Israel. And so the story uh, really gets started when there's a famine in Israel. And so Elimelech, uh, whose name means my God is king, everyone's name in Ruth means something. And these names are all very significant. So his name means my God is king, and that's interesting because this story is transitioning us from the time of judges to the time of kings. Uh, Elimelech takes his family to Moab, which is, you know, again, this enemy territory, sort of related, but um, very hostile tension between the two groups. And this kind of reminds us of when Joseph's family went to Egypt, which is fun because you and I talked about Joseph in the last time we did this interview. That's right. Um, So similar story, they go somewhere uh, that is hostile uh, to survive a famine. And so they find themselves in Moab. Elimelech dies. Both his sons die, Mm -hmm. leaving Naomi and her two Moabite daughters-in-law, Ruth Mm -hmm. and Orpah. Uh, Naomi tries to send the daughters-in-law back to their homes in Moab. You know, okay, go home. Mm-hmm. And she plans to return to her homeland, which is Bethlehem, interestingly. Mm. Uh, Orpah says okay, and she just heads on home. Uh, but Ruth decides to go with Naomi. And these verses in chapter 1, uh, 15 through 17, are considered one of the most uh, beautiful passages of all of Scripture. Uh, It says here, Ruth replied, don't urge me to abandon you. Don't turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me. And more so, if death ever separates me from you. Uh, This kind of gets us into uh, what I really think is the theme of the story of Ruth, which is this idea of uh, the Hebrew word is hesed, and Mm. it can mean like loyalty, uh, covenant loyalty, kindness, mercy, 
Um, it's just this beautiful word that encompasses so many of these values that we see expressed in this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this particular part is really significant. Uh, Ruth's choice to go with Naomi because uh, back then converting to a faith was not really a thing that people did. Uh, we haven't really seen many examples at this point in our study through scripture of people converting to other faiths. Uh, really your faith, your gods were kind of tied up in your ethnicity. Uh, you worshiped the gods of whatever people group you were from Mm -hmm. so for Ruth to go with Naomi meant that she would adopt a new family a new Mm -hmm. people a new ethnic identity and a new God and you know you're talking offline too that we don't know Ruth's backstory we don't know if she came from a bad family or she really didn't have any place she wanted to go home to but it definitely indicates that she had a very strong bond with Naomi and Naomi was someone that she trusted implicitly and felt like if she's that great then her family and her people must be pretty great yeah. And so she really took a, a leap of faith. Yeah, I love her uh, loyalty, this Hesed uh, covenant loyalty or kindness. Uh, she's choosing Naomi, and she's also choosing the God of Israel mm. in that. Um, I, at times, have heard the story of Ruth preached or taught as if it is about this great guy, Boaz, helping <laughs> these two helpless women. Um, but the scripture really tells us the story from the perspective of the women, from Ruth and Naomi. Um, and highlights the kindness, the loyalty of all three characters. So we'll see Boaz um, show his qualities a little later, but we are seeing first Ruth choosing loyalty to Naomi, but also choosing a new loyalty to a new god, the god Mm -hmm. of Israel. Well, they've endured a lot of hardship, and they have the bigger adventure, I think, compared to Boaz. Yeah, they do. They're on a road trip together. They do. Their story's great. So they get uh, to Bethlehem. And Naomi is grieving and she's miserable. She uh, expresses in the text how she feels like God has forgotten her. Uh, We said earlier that Mm -hmm. names are really significant in Mm -hmm. the story of Ruth. Her name before had meant pleasant. But she says now, call me Mara, which means bitter or despair. Mm. And this is kind of what Israel is going through at the time, Mm -hmm. if we think of the time of the judges. Remember we said murder, immorality, and general anarchy, that everyone's doing what's right for them, but they're not showing a lot of that kindness or covenant loyalty to God or to each other. Mm. So things are going really badly for all of Israel. Many people probably felt bitter and despair, like God had abandoned them or was punishing Mm -hmm. them. Many people had probably gone from feeling pleasant to feeling bitter, and we too in Mm -hmm. contemporary times have probably all been there as well, where we feel like God has forgotten us or we feel uh, bitterness towards our circumstances. Despondency. So what's going to happen next? They get there, they're settled in, it's two ladies, they're both career women, right? Like they have ways of going out and starting their accounting business. Yes, because that was a thing that people (laughs) did back then. Yeah, women could just go get jobs, yes. So they have to get food, what do they do? So they do have to get food. Uh, There was a system in ancient Israel called gleaning. Um, It too connects to this idea of hesed or covenant loyalty or kindness or mercy Mm. um, where... Uh, the poor women, um, foreigners, whoever, were allowed to kind of go behind in the fields and mm. gather up the extra. Um, it's a beautiful idea in practice, but it was also very hard work and could be dangerous for women mm-hmm. because while that idea is very kind and merciful, mm-hmm. you can't trust that every guy out in the fields is going to be so kind and merciful. So exactly. it was a dangerous thing for women to do. But Ruth 
goes out there and does it. She's got to feed the family. Yeah, and she's the out-of-towner, right? She's the one that's wearing the jewelry that's different or doesn't quite fit in, and she's having to just get out there to help Naomi because Naomi's, I'm guessing, elderly. Yeah, Naomi is older, I get the impression, and Ruth is the one who is of the age where she could go out and do this manual labor, and so she does. Um, She gets to the field, she meets Boaz, and uh, she, at this time, does not realize that they have a family connection. Mm -hmm. Um, Boaz is asking about her, and people are saying, oh, she's that Moabite who came back here with Naomi. It's like people Mm -hmm. had heard of her bold move in coming back. It sounds like word has spread about her that she's this foreigner who has done this thing that you just don't do, where you change gods, you change ethnic groups, you show this yeah. new loyalty. So she really had made an impression on people. Oh, she was the new way. kid in town for sure. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Boaz shows kindness to her. He helps her to get a lot of grain. He feeds her lunch and keeps her safe and like makes sure that she has work out in the fields. Um, this is an act of mercy or kindness or loyalty to her. Yeah. Um, Ruth brings home everything that she's collected. Naomi is like very impressed. Like, wow, where'd you, you know, where'd you get all this in one day? You must have, you know, you must have done something, right? And Ruth mentions Boaz, and Naomi realizes, oh, he is our relative. He is our mm-hmm. kinsman redeemer. Uh, your scripture translates it translates it in different ways, but mm-hmm. um, a possibly distant relative, but someone who's in the family who would have the right, uh, not a requirement, certainly, mm-hmm. but the right uh, to step in financially for a family uh, in the absence of like a head of household. Uh, redeemers could do things like buy back property so that it would mm. stay in the family. They could buy back slaves. If someone in your family had been sold into slavery, this redeemer could buy them back. They could avenge murders, which I think is a fun feature. Um, And in extreme cases, uh, they could marry someone to continue the family line. Gotcha. And we'll see that come into play. Well, it's very fortuitous Then she met him. Yeah. Yeah. And so now we kind of see into chapter three, Naomi's demonstration of hesed or kindness or covenant loyalty uh, in that she is now seeking security for Ruth. She's now thinking not just of what's Mm -hmm. best for her, bring me grain, bring me food, take care of me in my old age. No, she's thinking, okay, Ruth, I want to make sure you're taken care of Mm -hmm. after I'm gone. You got to go get Boaz to marry you. (laughs) And so Ruth does this whole thing that happens on the the threshing floor. Um, Your study Bible probably indicates some of these uh, words could sort of have sexual overtones. We, you know, the uncovering of the feats. but particularly the part I'm interested in is the, the spreading your cloak uh, is something that signifies like a marriage proposal. Interesting. And I so people think that. basically Ruth yeah. is proposing to him, which uh. people don't even really do today very often, <laughs> let alone back then in that kind of culture. Yeah. Um, she goes into this threshing floor where all the guys are you know, finishing up the harvest process and they're drinking and hanging out and she goes in and like boldly approaches him Mm. and essentially proposes marriage to him. Well, I think it's an important distinction too that she followed implicit directions that Naomi guided her on. She didn't just come up with this idea on her own and she didn't know culturally how to go about this appropriately. That's a great point. And Naomi basically said, here's what you're going to do step by step. (laughs) Yes. Here's how you (laughs) propose marriage to this guy who is the matchmaker to you. Yes. (laughs) 
Um, I love, shortly after that happens, uh, in 311, Boaz refers to Ruth as a woman of worth or a worthy mm. woman. Um, you might have it translated slightly differently in your Bible. Um, and I just think that's really cool. He could have looked down on her for that mm-hmm. strange move. He could have condemned her and said, oh, that's, you know, that's not what we do. That's not, you know, the woman doesn't propose to the man. Why are you coming in here? Mm. Uh, but he calls her a, a person of worth. Mm. And actually the phrase that's used there is the same phrase as in Proverbs 31, mm. uh, which is a, a famous scripture uh, often translated as a wife of noble character. Ah. And if you've studied Proverbs 31 or, or heard that talked about or preached about, um, a lot of us think of a Proverbs 31 woman as um, like June Cleaver sort mm. of in Bible times, a good wife, a good mother, um, provides for her family, maybe mm. you know, good at arts and crafts, fashionable. <laughs> um, it describes this, this type of woman, but Ruth gives us another image of what yeah. this woman of worth might be. Yeah, um, she's one of strength and integrity. Yeah, yeah, a foreigner, a convert, uh, someone who chose to follow God and cling to God and family even when it didn't really make sense for her to do that. A woman who worked a dangerous job. She went out of her way to care for her mother-in-law, proposed marriage to a man to ensure security for her family. Uh, Rachel Held Evans, who's a Christian author and speaker, she uh, died tragically last year at a young age. She mm. translated this same phrase as woman of valor mm. or woman of courage. And she did a lot of writing on that phrase and that topic and what it might mean to women understanding scripture. Yeah, it's well put. Yeah, and I just love that example of Ruth doing all that. Well, so it, it, this is one of those few chances we get where we, there is a happy ending. In the same book. Yes. It wraps up nicely. So how does it wrap up? It does wrap up nicely. They uh, work out the legalities of getting married, and the story of Ruth ends with a baby, baby Obed. (laughs) And um, I think it's not the cutest baby name, uh, not one we hear uh, anymore, but yeah, baby Obed is born, and then we get a genealogy. Now, unfortunately, we transition straight from a fantastic, well-contained, happily-ever-after kind of story to a more cautionary tale um, in Samuel 1. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> well, when I was working, uh, preparing for this interview, I had pages of notes on Ruth. I could talk for so much longer about Ruth. I love Ruth. And we got to First Samuel, and I was like, I uh, not a lot of protagonists. <laughs> yeah, it's just, we, like you said, we end with this happy ending, this theme of loyalty and kindness, and we just... Uh, pretty early on in 1 Samuel, see the opposite mm-hmm. of that with the story of Saul. We start out with mm-hmm. some great stuff. Uh, Hannah is faithful to God. She dedicates her child Samuel to God. He is faithful. But ultimately, the people of Israel don't want to be ruled by judges anymore. Mm-hmm. They decide that they want to be like other nations. Mm-hmm. And so they want a king. And God's not real thrilled about that, right? God's not thrilled about that. Uh, the judge system was something that God came up with, and corrupt though it was, I mean, it wasn't working perfectly, but when they had judges, God was the king of Israel, and that set them apart from every other nation. Everywhere had a monarchy, but in Israel, God was supposed to be king, and judges were just supposed to help them settle disputes. 
It's interesting, though, because the people ask for a king, and God's not thrilled, but Mm. God still says, you know, fine, let them have a king. So God allows the people to stray from God's perfect will or God's original plan, and yet God continues to guide them or have a will or a plan for them, even within their straying. Like God, even though they're sort of off the path of God's will, God still has a plan for who the king would be. Right. And God kind of pointed to who it needed to be. I guess we assume he picked the best of the bunch. Yeah. Which happened to be Saul. Happened to be Saul. (laughs) Saul started out as the first king and he started out good. Um, Mm. He was called, he was chosen for a purpose. And Mm then, uh, Pretty quickly into Saul's story, we see his leadership deteriorating. Uh, Power tends to go to people's heads, so maybe that's why God was reluctant. (laughs) Yes, yeah, maybe maybe God knew that even with a good choice as king, power would go to anyone's head in that position. Um, We see some good kings of Israel over the years, but we really don't see a perfect one. Um, And as Christians, when we get to Jesus, we sometimes refer to Jesus as a prophet, a priest, and a king. And uh, him being really the only perfect king that there could be. And it doesn't delve into a lot of details about exactly what was going through Saul's mind or how things started to fall apart. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really give us the reasons. It just tells mm. us what happens. This is a more historical type of text that just tells mm. us what happened. It doesn't give us uh, all the psychoanalysis behind it. In chapter 13, Saul becomes impatient. He doesn't want to wait mm. Uh, for Samuel to come and do the proper spiritual preparations before battle. So he just goes ahead and does the thing that only a priest or only a certain person was supposed to do. So basically he's willing to compromise on God's directions when, mm. when he's short on time or when he feels under pressure. And then he does that again just a couple chapters later in chapter 15. He's not following God's instructions for the battle. Shortly after that, we read that both God and Samuel reject him Mm. as king. So next week's podcast delves further into Saul's unfortunate downfall, along with the rising star that we come to know as King David. For now, though, let's end things on a high note. Emily, although this week's reading ends with David's epic victory against the formidable Goliath, to keep things fresh, we're actually going to close with a lesser-known but equally incredible tale. Yeah, there's one other story in 1 Samuel that I really like, and you never really hear about it. I don't think I've ever really heard a sermon about it. It's in chapters 5 and 6, kind of before the whole Samuel, Saul, King story picks up, uh, where the Philistines have captured the Ark. So the Philistines are the bad guys. They have captured the Ark, which is that sort of golden box that contains Mm. the Ten Commandments. Philistines got it back to their land, and the ark starts to cause all these bad things to happen to them. Mm. So their altars to their false gods start falling apart. They are being stricken with tumors. There is a plague of rats running around (laughs) town. Kind of reminds us of the plagues in Egypt. Things are getting worse and worse to the point where they say, we don't want this ark anymore. Send it back. Yep. Uh, You mentioned Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that is definitely a modern connection to that. So the Israelites say, yeah, send it back, but you're going to make God mad if you send it back empty-handed. You need to send a guilt offering. (laughs) Ah. And the Philistines say, okay, what do you want for your guilt offering? And they say, golden tumors and golden rats. And if you Mm. send those, which is just, you know, a lot of gold, but the tumors and the rats are kind of a funny way to ask for it. Uh, If you send these, maybe God will forgive what you did. 
And uh, they even say to the Philistines, why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians did? Kind of tying this story back. Hey, remember what happened to the Egyptians as they were swept up into the Red Sea? Uh, Tying this story to the Exodus story Mm -hmm. with sort of a similar theme that that God is always working. Um, Back in Israel, when the Ark was first taken... A whole bunch of people died, right, when the ark was captured and taken. Eli died, his sons died, his daughter-in-law spontaneously goes into labor over the shock of the ark being taken. Um, And as she's dying, giving birth, she names her child Ichabod, which you wouldn't think of as a Bible name, but apparently it is. And it means, where is the glory? And so in their minds, the presence of God is gone. The glory of God is gone because the ark is gone. Mm. They think God has left them. But God, in as much as God can be contained in this golden box anyway, Mm. God is actually out there in enemy territory fighting for them, uh, defeating their enemies with rats and tumors and all sorts of strange things. But God is out there working. It shows the power of God that they believed in. Mm -hmm. And this reminder to us, I think, that while we might think that Our goal in life is to show this covenant loyalty and this kindness to God and others, and it is. Uh, This story puts the emphasis back on God. The real hero of the story is God. God has always shown the ultimate kindness, the ultimate loyalty, the ultimate love to us. Thanks so much for joining us this week. You can find out more about Hyde Park United Methodist and the Bible Project at BibleProject2020.com. We hope you found this podcast entertaining, approachable, and maybe even a little bit helpful. This week, consider telling one person about this podcast, maybe someone who is interested in the characters and stories of Scripture. And be sure to rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts. Joanna Schweitzer produced this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. See you next week.